Okay, so we're starting a new series today called From Atheist to Disciple. From Atheist to Disciple. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us through several steps over the next two months uh, from the point where someone would say there's no such thing as God to the point where someone says, Jesus, you are my Lord and everything I have belongs to you. Everything that I have is yours. So from Atheist all the way to that point. And as we go through these steps in the next few months, at some point, one of these steps is going to resonate with you more than the others. And when we get to that step in your life, the goal is for you to take it to the next level. So that's my goal. Because everyone's at a different level in this sermon series. Once we get to the level you're at, I want you to go to the next step. Okay, so everyone's going to grow through this. And I assume there's no atheists here today. But if there are, today in part one, I want to talk to you about atheism. Atheism. This is the belief or the... Um, the consent or the declaration that there is no God. There is no God. That's what atheism is. Don't confuse it with agnosticism. Agnosticism is I don't know if there's a God. Atheism is, the, is when they state there is no such thing as God. Okay, so to have a worldview, to have a worldview that actually fulfills every human being on planet Earth, there are four main questions that must be answered. We're going to deal with these four points today. They are four points of wisdom, four points of common sense, and it's very important, and today I'm going to use a lot of math and a lot of science because we're dealing with atheism, of course, um, but understand that whenever you decide to follow Jesus, it is not a blind leap of faith. Don't ever let anybody tell you that being a Christian means you just close your eyes and just believe everything God says without ever asking any questions and without ever having any logic behind it. Just a big blind leap of faith. That is not biblical at all. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible called Proverbs that is dedicated to nothing but wisdom and common sense. So following God is not a lack of wisdom. Following God is not an illogical thing. In fact, it is very logical. It is very um, wise to do so. And I'll go through that in this series. But remember when John, John uh, 20, 2025, when Thomas said, unless I see proof, I'm not going to believe. He, did, he said, unless I see proof, I want to see proof that he rose from the dead. I want to see proof that he is who he says he is. I want to see proof that he is the son of God. I want proof. He said, unless I can see the nail scars in his hands, unless I can see his side where the spear met, I'm not going to believe. Now, when Thomas said this, did Jesus say, I can't believe you. You're telling me you want proof. You don't need proof. You should just follow me no matter what. Just take me as my word. You don't need any kind of proof. No, Jesus didn't do that at all. In fact, in verse 26, it says a week later, the disciples were locked in a house. Jesus appeared all of a sudden, comes through the walls, and the first person he went to, the first, he bypassed every single disciple that had faith, and he went to the one man who was basically saying, I don't believe God's real unless I see it for myself. I need some proof behind it. Jesus bypassed everybody, went straight to Thomas and said, see my hands. Here is your proof. Reach out and touch my side. And now you can believe. So following Jesus is not something that we just do blindly. It's something there is logic. Now, because you and I are believers, we know that a relationship with anyone, including God, is not just cerebral. We know that it's a heart issue. We know that it's, 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 a, my, it's not just mine, but it's will, it's emotions, it's a heart issue. Um, but even though, um, even though it's a heart issue for salvation, because we're dealing with atheism, we're going to talk very logical stuff today. However, Romans 10, 9 says you have to believe in your heart 
that God rose from the dead and you will be saved. It doesn't say believe in your mind. It says believe in your heart. So it is a heart issue. Everybody say a heart issue. You have to understand that. In other words, I can give you all the logic. I can give you all the science and all the math. I can give you proof. I can. Jesus can appear to you and show you the scars in his hands. But until you believe in your heart, you're not going to be saved. Okay, so it's a heart issue, though we are going to deal with logic today. Okay, so if you're ready, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so point number one is for your notes origin. Where did I come from? This is the first question, the first statement. This must be taken care of. This must be addressed to have a worldview. A worldview is a view that, that fits every human being. You can't have a worldview that says, well, men go to hell and women go to heaven because that doesn't fit everybody. Um, you, you, you have to have a worldview that actually makes sense for all of humanity. And the four things that have to be dealt with, the first one is origin. You have to be able to answer, where did I come from? Um, where did I come from? Where, where did we start from? How did we get here? So I have this prop for you today. It's a plastic globe. And I'm sure you've seen one before. I don't even know if they use these in school anymore. But when I was in school, they had one in every classroom. So this is a plastic globe. It's perfectly round. It's made of plastic. There's colors on it. There's, um, there's lines that separate the countries of planet Earth. There's letters on this. And these letters actually form words. The English words on here uh, tell us what the name of the countries, the oceans, the continents. I mean, this is a pretty cool piece of plastic. Obviously, um, this was not created by a three-year-old or a four-year-old. Obviously, somebody intelligent made this. So my question to you is, if you saw this, let's say you were digging around in the Grand Canyon. Um, you know, you're an archaeologist. You're Indiana Jones. At least in my dreams, I am. And so um, you're looking around. And all of a sudden, you come across this globe. If, I, if you had to bet your life on it, there was a gun to your head and you only had two choices. Either this globe just happened to somehow come together in all of its uniqueness. I mean, the letters after out of millions of years, this was formed and somehow maybe something collided with something or there was a bang or whatever the case was. And this piece of plastic with all these words just happened to come, the letters just happened to form together by chance, by time, whatever you want to say. Or the other option is somebody intelligent created this plastic globe, put these words on there, colored these colors on there, made these lines and drawn on there, and it was, it was placed there by an intelligent being, one or the other. If you had to choose, and you're an atheist, you know, you can say there's nothing, and if you had to choose, would you say that this came together by chance or someone created it? Obviously, you'd say somebody made it, right? It's a piece of plastic, the letters are... Okay, let's forget this for a minute, and let's talk about the earth that we actually live on. It weighs six sextillion tons, and it travels at 67,000 miles an hour around the sun. If it were any closer to the sun, we would burn up. If it were any further away, we would freeze to death. Is there a chance in a million, zillion, quadrillion years... Did it just happen in all of its uniqueness and all of its glory? Did it just happen to show up or did someone intelligent place it there? If you say that someone intelligent made this plastic globe, then shouldn't you just by science and definition say someone intelligent made the earth that we live on? In fact, the more intelligent the finding, the more intelligence the creator. If you see a picture that's being drawn right now in children's church by one of the three or four year olds, you say it's obviously, that was obviously colored by a four-year-old. If you see a beautiful painting in all of its detail, you think, oh, someone really intelligent painted that. The more intelligent the finding, 
the more intelligent the creator. Wouldn't you agree with that? Okay, so atheists, um, they get their, their, their origin from Charles Darwin. He wrote a book in 1859 called The Origin of Species. It's where we get the theory of evolution, which is still a theory, by the way, and still taught as a theory. Atheists love to talk about the book, but they've never read it. There are two chapters in Charles Darwin's book, two chapters that he wrote in The Origin of Species that he wrote disproving his own theory. In fact, he said in his book, if you simply study the human eye, just the human eye itself is proof that we had to come from an intelligent being. He said there's no way the human eye could just the human eye itself could ever have ever formed from from nothing to something. Um, in fact, the possibility of the human enzyme, which is the building block of the gene coming together by chance is one in 10 to the 40,000th power. Now, some scientists and mathematics got together to help give us an explanation of what it would look like one in 10 to the 40,000th power. So here's the odds, the mathematical odds of one in 10 to the 40,000th power is this. If I had a set of dice, two dice, two dice, and if I rolled them both 50,000 times in a row, I got six on both of the dice 50,000 times in a row, every time without missing. That is the mathematical odds that the human enzyme just happened to somehow come together. In fact, scientifically, it is scientifically impossible to be an atheist. It is scientifically impossible. Here's why you cannot be an atheist. To say something does not exist, you have to have all knowledge of that thing. In other words, if somebody came and said, oh, there's no such city in the world named Aner, which... I, I, that, that's up for debate. But anyway, if they said there's no such city in the world named Aner, I would say, do you know the name of every single city in the world? And they would say, well, no, I don't. Well, then how can you say there's not a city named Aner if you don't know every single city in the entire world? The only way you can say something doesn't exist is if you have all knowledge of that thing. Okay, To say that the most creative being in the universe, the most um, intelligent being in the universe does not exist you would have to have all knowledge of the universe. Psalms 14, one says only a fool says there is no God, which is the exact literal definition of an atheist, there is no God. So to say that God doesn't exist, you have to have all knowledge. Now, right now, the smartest man in the world is a man named Kim Ung Young. Kim Ung Young has the IQ of 220. When he was two years old, he could speak, read, and write fluently four languages. At two years old, okay? Imagine being his parent, you know, being his parents. So this man is the smartest man in the world, and he has less than 2% of all knowledge. Um, in other words, that's all cultures that ever existed on planet Earth, all languages. There's 70,000 languages that have been on Earth, all music of every culture all around the world, all art, all math, all science. He has less than 2% of all knowledge. Do you think you're as smart as Kim Ung Young, by the way? Anybody in here? Let's assume you are. Let's assume you're as smart as him, okay? Is it possible that in the 98% of knowledge that you don't possess, that someone exists who you know nothing about? Is that a possibility? Of course it is. And by the way, Kim Ung Young, he's not a Christian, but he did say that he can prove that we have a soul, he can prove there's a God, and he can prove the afterlife simply through mathematics. Okay, so where did we come from? Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We believe we came from an intelligent being. That's what we believe. Okay, so point number two is this. 
First one is origin. Number two is meaning. Meaning, why am I here? What is the purpose of me being on planet Earth? Am I here to just build my own kid? Am I here to just make money and be comfortable and live and die? Am I here um, just to get whatever I want in life and hurt whoever I have to to get it? What is the, what is the reason that I'm on planet Earth? What is the reason that I am alive? Most atheists believe that we are metaphysical. That we are just time, matter, and chance, just like a tree or just like a plant. They think we just come, we take whatever resources we need to survive and have what we want, and then we just die and leave. Okay, if we're metaphysical, that means we have no soul. And a lot of atheists believe we have no soul. If we have no soul, if we're just time, matter, and chance, no soul, then my question is, why does it cause us pain when we see people in tragedy, when we see people hurting? Why does it hurt if we have no soul and we're just like a tree, just like a plant? Why does it hurt us when we see another human being hurting? Why does it affect us so bad? In fact, there's a picture I'll show you. It's called the vulture and the little girl. It's a true picture. Uh, this picture was taken a few years ago in Africa. The little girl is starving to death and the vulture is just a few feet away waiting for her to take her last breath so the vulture can eat the little girl. Now, if you have no soul, then this should not bother you at all. But if you have a soul, this hurts. The photographer that actually took this picture won a Pulitzer Prize for it. But he continued to look at the picture week after week, month after month, and it made him so depressed he ended up committing suicide. You know why? Because we are in pain when we see other people in pain. We're not just metaphysical. So why are we here on earth? Matthew 22, 37 tells us we are here to love God and we are here to love people. That's what we believe. We are here to receive the love of God and then give it away to others. We're here to receive forgiveness and give it to others. We're here to receive mercy and give it to others. We're here to receive blessings and then bless others. We're here to receive wisdom and then give wisdom to others because that's what love is. Now, here's the thing about love. The only way you can accomplish this is if we have a free will. You cannot love unless you have a free will. Uh, you cannot love if, you're, if, if someone is forced to do it, if they're forced to make the right decision, if they're forced to be kind, if they're forced to forgive, it's not love. Imagine meeting somebody and you, you, know, you fall in love and you want to spend time with them, and so you strap them in a chair and duct tape them, you know, and, and, ne and then after a few hours you say, isn't it nice we get to spend this time together? I just love hanging out with you. They'd say, you know, that's not love if they're forced to do it. If they're for, it's not love. So you have to understand the reason that we have a free will is so we can fulfill this meaning in life. So we can love. The only way love is possible is if you can hate. If you can't hate, then you can't love. Because love is a choice to do so. Um, let me say it like this. If your dishwasher is washing dishes, you don't celebrate and thank that dishwasher because it was designed and forced. It was created to do that. It was a, it's a robot. It was made to wash dishes. It has to wash the dishes when you hit start. But if your husband washes the dishes for you, you celebrate him. You know why? Because he has a free will and he can choose not to do it. The fact that we can choose not to do something, that allows us to love in choosing to, everybody understand that? Okay, so if you wonder why there's evil in the world, if you Christians serve this great God and he's a God of love, why is there so many bad things? Here's why. Evil is in the world because the world has departed from the meaning of life. The reason that God created us is to love. The reason there's evil in the world is because people have departed from doing the very thing they were created to do. So if you're an atheist, I need you to tell me where did we come from and why are we here? Answer that question. Okay, so point number three is this, and I think this is the biggest one, honestly. Morality. 
how do I define right and wrong? In other words, how do I treat people? If, if you don't serve God, you got to tell me, how, how do we treat each other in a marriage? How, how do we treat our children? How are we supposed to parent? How are we supposed to spend money? How are we supposed to treat our enemies? How are we supposed to treat our friends? How are we supposed to respond to authority? Like, tell me, where does your right and wrong come from? What is good and what is bad to you? Uh, one of the new phrases that, that people love to talk about is karma. Now, the Bible, of course, says you reap what you sow. But karma, people say, oh, if you do good, you get it back. And if you do bad, it's going to come back to you. Okay, and I ask these people, where does your good and bad, what is good and bad to you? What is it? And they'll say things like, oh, you know, just do whatever feels good, whatever feels right. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not a worldview. What if someone doesn't feel the same way you do? In some cultures, it feels good to take your neighbors some food. In other cultures, it feels good to eat your neighbors as food. Who is right? Who's right and who's wrong? Hitler didn't think there was anything wrong with murdering a certain type of person, a Jew. Who's to say he's wrong? How do we know? Well, the law says it's wrong. Well, well whose law? American law? Got, uh, Canadian law? Like, wh whose law is right and whose law is wrong? Well, you know, whatever the government says, if it's wrong to kill, whatever, da, da. okay, it's right to kill Christians in certain countries. Is that right or wrong? Like, how do we? Well, society. You know, in America, it was okay to have slaves 150 years ago. Is it still okay? No. Why not? Who's to say it's right and wrong? Where do you get your morals from? 50 years ago, homosexuality was wrong. Now it's right. Is it right for... You know, would you allow a 50-year-old man who's dressed like a woman to go in the same bathroom with your six-year-old daughter? Well, what if they allow in America 10 years from now? Who's to say it's right or wrong? Where do your morals come from? You have to tell me where the line is. How do you differentiate between good and bad? Between good and evil? It's got to come from somewhere. Don't marry somebody. Whose morals don't come from the Bible, because if they don't, then you have to ask them, where do they come from? What is going to be okay in our marriage? What if one day your husband wants to have three other wives? Is that right or wrong? What if, the, what if America says it's okay? What if it starts showing up on television shows and the whole world goes to that? Who's to say it's right or wrong? As Christians, we believe our morals come from the word of God. Psalms 19, 7, the word of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. That's what we believe. You say, well, if, the, if, the, if God's word is, is the you know, morals for Christians, why are there so many bad Christians? Why are there so many fake Christians? Okay, listen, we aren't Christians because we're good. We're Christians because we're not good. That's why we're Christians. We are the only worldview where you go to God immorally and let him change you and make you moral. Every other worldview is you have to do everything right first and then you get there, not us. In fact, don't judge um, don't judge the Bible based on Christians. That's like judging America based on Americans. I mean, if you watch some YouTube videos of Americans, you'd think this country's crazy, wouldn't you? Get on Facebook and if you were an alien from another you know, planet, and you're, you started watching videos and think, oh my, is this what America's like? So don't judge all Christians, but don't judge the word of God based on all Christians. The reason we come to Jesus is because we are immoral. So the Bible is our final authority. The Bible is our line for morality. Here's the question, is the Bible true? How, but how do we know? Like, prove it to me. I need it. If I'm an atheist, you tell me, well, we follow the Bible. How do you know the Bible's true? Okay, listen, this is the, if, if this was my only point to prove the Bible's true through mathematics, it's 66 books with 44 different writers over a 1,500 year time span. Okay? 66 books, 44 writers, 1,500 years apart. 
And there is one single theme from Genesis to Revelation in every single story, in every single book of the entire Bible written by 44 men, 1,500 years. And the theme is this, that the most perfect, amazing, omnipotent, all-powerful being, creator of the universe, desires so much to be in relationship with you that he gave his entire life for it. All the way from Genesis to Revelation. Let me read some scripture. Uh, let's see, Genesis 17, 8. I will give you the land and I will be your God. Exodus 6, 7. I will take some other people and I will be your God. Exodus 29, 45. I will dwell among them and I will be their God. Leviticus 26, 12. I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. Leviticus 26, 45. Remember, I brought them out of bondage that I might be their God. Ezekiel 11, 20. They may walk in my ways and will be my people and I shall be their God. Ezekiel 14, 11. No longer stray from me. Be my people and I will be your God. Ezekiel 37, 23. I will deliver them from their sins and cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. Isaiah 43, 3, I am the Lord your God, your Savior. Isaiah 40, 49, 26, all of mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, Redeemer, and God. Jeremiah 7, 23, obey the voice of the Lord and I will be your God and you will be my people. Jeremiah 30, 22, I will be, you will be my people and I will be your God. Jeremiah 31, 33, I'll put my law within them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Joel 2, 27, You'll know that I am in your midst, and I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, Joel 3, 17, there is no other Savior besides me. I am the Lord your God, Hosea 13, 4. I have been the Lord your God, and you will never know another God except me. Zechariah 8, I will bring them back. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Hebrews 8, 10, I'll put my law in their minds and their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Second Corinthians 6, 16, I will dwell among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Revelation 21, 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God is among men. They shall be his people and he will be their God. That's the single theme of the whole Bible. That he wants to, that he wants to be in a relationship with me. That's what he wants. He created the universe and he wants me. That's the single theme through the whole Bible. 99.6% of the Bible has been confirmed by historical documents from all over the world, including pagan historical documents, Roman historical documents. It should be easy to disprove the Bible, but you can't do it. It should be easy, but you can't do it. The mathematical odds that the Bible's 66 books are as congruent as they are with 44 writers over 1,500 years is one in 10 to the 17th power. The collusion factor of the Bible in itself is a miracle. How is this possible? Here's how. There's only one author, and he's a genius. 44 men penned it, but one person wrote it. And that person is an ultimate and total genius. You know, I personally think it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does a Christian. <laughs> it takes more faith to believe what they believe than what we believe. Okay, so point number four is this, destiny. Destiny, you have to be able to answer this. What happens when I die? What happens when I die? What is the destiny? What's the destination of my life? Um, a lot of atheists believe in reincarnation, where every birth pays for the previous birth. But the only question I have about that is this. Where did the first birth come from? What's the origin? And two, um, how, do you how do you define good and evil to know what you're going to be in the next life? I mean, if you have no line of morality, are you going to be a grasshopper or a king? You know, well, I'll just try to do good. But what is good? You can't explain that to me. So here's what we believe is our destiny. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, a lot of people think that Christianity is exclusive. OK, it's the most inclusive there possibly is. And here's why. Whoever. Black, white, red, yellow, dumb, smart, rich, poor, American, Canadian, Mexican, whoever believes in him, 
will not perish and go to hell, but have everlasting life in heaven. Christianity is not even a religion. Um, every religion is about what, what humankind has to do to get to nirvana or get to the 72 versions. You know, you have to blow yourself up or you have to pray three times a day or whatever it is. Christianity is the only worldview that is all about what God did to get to us. It's absolutely all we have to do is receive the free gift. Amazing. Why would anybody not want that? Uh, Romans 1.19 says this. God is evident, made manifest to them in their inner consciousness because God himself has shown it to them. Ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities are clearly seen through the things he's made so that people have no excuse at all. Here's the point. God's been speaking to you and trying to reach you through your conscience, through people, through dreams, through every since the day you were born, God has been pursuing you, pursuing you completely. Um, there's a true story. I'll tell you this uh, guy who's now a Christian missionary. But a few years ago, I think around 2015 or so, he told this story in England. He was trained in the early 2000s to be part of this army similar to ISIS. Uh, he was wrote, he grew up in a Muslim country and he and his brothers and all of his friends and everyone around, they were trained day after day. It was a 10 year training and they were trained to do two things. They were trained to kill without feeling. It's very important that they did this without feeling at all. Kill without feeling. The other thing they were trained to do is they all had a specific area of training. This guy's specific area was he was trained in how to make fake passports. So you could get different members of ISIS and so forth through all the different countries to kill who they wanted to kill and do what they wanted to do. Well, three years into his training, this guy starts having dreams about Jesus Christ. And he can't stop it. Every single night of his life, he's dreading going to bed because he knows he's going to dream about Jesus again. Seven years, every single night for seven years, he dreams about Jesus. Finally, after his 10-year training is up, he goes to his mother and he says, Mom, I, I got to tell you, for the past seven years, I'm dreaming about that guy that the Christians call Jesus. Uh, the mother says to him, son, if anyone finds out about this, they will kill your own brother will kill you without feeling. You have to flee the country immediately. So somehow, some way he makes safe passage into England. He meets a businessman who shares the gospel with him. He gives his life to Jesus. He ends up going to a Bible college, a seminary in England. When he graduates from the seminary, this was just a few years ago. He's at this one of the parties they have at graduation and all of his teachers and professors are there and he's talking to them. And some of the professors say, well, what are you going to do now that you've you graduated seminary? You know, what, what are you going to do with your life? And he said, I feel like God's telling me to travel through all the Muslim and Hindu countries and build relationships with people and slowly, you know, share the gospel with them. And the teachers started laughing. They said, you can't do that. It's illegal. How are you going to go through all these different countries like that? You, that's not anything that's possible. He said, you forgot. ISIS taught me how to make fake passports. So I'm going to use that to be able to you know, minister to all of them. And here's the point. God reached this guy in his dreams. In his dreams. God has been pursuing us. No person can ever say God rejected me. Ever. God is a just God. Nobody goes to hell without a chance. But gods can say to people left and right, you rejected me. God, but no person can ever say God rejected them. Uh, Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I'll answer you. I'll tell you great and mighty things. Psalms 26, uh, now I know the Lord saves. He will answer from his holy heaven. Zechariah 10, 6, I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. Proverbs 8, 17, those who diligently seek me will find me. 
Deuteronomy 4.29, if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find the Lord your God. Luke 11.9, seek him and you will find him. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Psalms 22.26, those who seek the Lord will praise him and live forever. Psalm 6.32, you will live if you seek God. Psalms 107.13, when they cried to the Lord in their trouble, he saved them and broke away their chains. Matthew 7.8, everyone who seeks finds the one who knocks the door will be open. Isaiah 58 9. When you call, the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you haven't found God is one reason you've never looked for him. If you have not found God, the only reason why is because you have never searched for him. Okay, last story and then I'll, I'll let you go. Another true story. I love reading about these, these missionary stories. But there was a young man named Prince Kaboot. He lived in the 1800s in the Crew tribe in Liberia. At 14 years old, another tribe came in and invaded their tribe. And um, they kidnapped Prince Kabu and they took him back to where they were from. And they put him in chains and they locked him up in a cage where he couldn't even stand up outside all the time. They allowed his father, who was the, the king of the other tribe, to visit his son once a month as long as he brought gifts to the tribe and so after a few years um there he ran out of gifts so they would not let him see his son so they began to beat and torture prince kaboo on a regular basis uh one day in the middle of the night he's chained up he's in a in a cage prince kaboo in his own language simply cries out and says if there's a god save me he later writes in his memoirs what happened a bright light shined from heaven, he said, and all of a sudden in his native tongue, he heard a voice say, run. When he heard the voice, he looked down and his chains were completely loose. The cage door had opened up and so he ran. And he ran and he ran and he ran and he ran. And he survived in the jungle for months off of mango and snails. Not escargot, but snails. He ends up at a coffee plantation and the plantation owner was a former slave, so Prince Kabu asked if he can work for him. He says, yes, yes, he can. And the, the coffee plantation owner tells Prince Kabu about Jesus. So he, he gets saved, gives his life to Jesus, and he says, I want to find out more. How do I find out more? And the coffee plantation owner said, well, there was a, a, a businessman who's a missionary from New York City in America. This is the 1800s. And he came through a few years ago and told us about Jesus. So that's how we found out. So Prince Kabu travels to the coast of Africa. He finds a ship that's headed to New York City so he can learn more about Jesus. And he's asking the captain, he says, listen, can I get on board for, for travel? I'll work if you just let me get on board to go to New York. And uh, the captain says, we don't need you. We don't need any more work. While they're talking, two of the crew members come up and quit. So he hires Prince Kabu to get on the ship. Prince Kabu gets to New York City. And in the 1800s, somehow, miraculously, he actually finds the guy who led the coffee plantation owner to Jesus. He finds him on the side of the street, walking into a building. Somehow he got his address. And the guy says, oh, oh, he said, I'm about to go into a meeting. I'll be 30 minutes. I'll come out and then we'll talk. So Prince Kaboo's sitting there on the steps in New York City. While the 30-minute meeting goes on, Prince Kaboo leads 20 men to Jesus in New York in that 30-minute time period. He hangs out with the guy, they, they, they talk, and they, you know, he tells them more about Jesus, and the guy decides he's going to pay for him to go to college a few years later. So Prince Kabu is now 18 years old, and he goes to Taylor University in Indiana to study theology. There's still buildings named after him today. 
he changes his name to Samuel Caboo Morris, and he ends up leading thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Jesus and sent hundreds and hundreds of missionaries to Africa. But here's the point I want to make. Samuel Prince Caboo is in Africa, chained up in a box outside. He cries out to God and God saves his life and saves his soul. Listen, the only reason you haven't found God is because you have not cried out to him. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, the only question I have that I do not know the answer to is why would anybody reject an all-loving God? I don't know. I don't, so that's how we deal with atheism. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.